In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Amy Gentry, and I am beyond excited. So is Ziggy. He just jumped up on the table to say hi. He's about to it. us. Yeah. He knows how great she is. You recommended Amy Gentry's book, Bad Habits, a few episodes ago in episode number 79. And I also read her past two books, and damn. Right? They're so good. They're so good. So good. And like we found with most of our interviews, the author we admire is a freaking cool person. Freaking cool so person. Not only is she great at writing, she's just a killer human being. Mm-hmm. We got Amy on Zoom and she told us about her favorite books, past and present, how reading all different kinds of genres is super satisfying, and cake. 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 We've put all the books that Amy mentions in the show notes so you can add them all to your to be read pile. And now, here's our interview with Amy Gentry. Why don't we start with thinking about um, you growing up? Did you have a favorite book or books as a kid or a teen that really pops out at you? Yeah, I had one real favorite that started when I was a kid. I think I was maybe in third grade. My mom bought a bunch of books at a used bookstore just um, without knowing what they were and brought them home. And they all had to do with like, I don't know, unicorns and stuff. And she brought the Last Unicorn by Peter S. Spiegel. Well, it was also um, a, a movie. It was film. It was a cartoon movie in the 80s. So I actually wrote an article about the film, too, because it's an amazing film. Okay, I'm going to look that up. 
But the book is really beautiful. It's um, one of the classics of fantasy. People like Neil Gaiman constantly cite it as like their favorite. Um, and I just discovered it at this really young age. And it's actually a quite adult book. It has really these like melancholy themes running through it. Um, and the first line is just branded on my memory forever. It is, the unicorn lived in a lilac wood and she lived all alone. And clearly, oh, wow. I know, yeah. I was clearly a very emo child already <laughs> because it just spoke to me so immediately. And I used to just read it out loud, like in the mornings before anyone woke up, I would just read this book aloud over and over. Oh. And I think I, even though I had a lot of other, you know, I read a lot of stuff and I had a lot of favorite reads, like every kid. Uh, but yeah, something about that book really lodged itself in my brain. And I think it tapped into feelings I was already having and just gave me some really beautiful language and kind of mature, um, um, I don't know, thoughts and ideas about those things. So, yeah. And it's a fairy tale, essentially. Yeah. So it has this timeless quality, too. So, yeah, isn't that amazing that sometimes the book you need will find you just at the right time? Like how <laughs> random that is, but really cool. I know, really strange. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> well, we talked a lot about, um, in different conversations with different authors and sometimes listeners, about classics that they struggled with that maybe were a little bit of a roadblock in their reading journey. Maybe they were introduced to it too soon, something like that. We talked a lot about Moby Dick being ours. Do you, is there a classic you remember struggling with or a time you remember feeling like this book isn't speaking to me? It's funny. I do actually, I tried Moby Dick when I was extremely young, but because a kid on the bus, I was in fourth grade, I remember, maybe it was fifth grade, but I think it was fourth. And there was this other kid who was reading Moby Dick on the bus and really liked it. And, and he w recommended it to me. And I liked reading a lot. And I was like, this is a big book, I'll try it. And I, I, could, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And even when I read it later, I really couldn't. Um, so it's due for a reread. But I, I'm trying to think of one in high school. It's funny because a lot of the books we read in high school, I remember reading Jane Eyre, for example. And I, I liked it when I read it in high school. But it, I found it very hard to get through the, um, the sentimental portion early on and, um, and, and some of the language and, and even like the way the plot turns. I mean, there's a lot of very frustrating plot elements <laughs> in that book uh, that many people have discussed. However, it is a, an amazing book. And I went, the second I picked it up outside of school, I actually fell in love with it. And there are many books like that that I remember reading in high school. And then later when I taught high school, they connected with me more. I mean, I, I, I loved them and came to adore them, but that I found really, really tricky when I was in high school or just kind of, there's something about the environment of having to do the homework and discuss at school. And again, as a former teacher of high school and college, I found, I find this kind of tragic, you know, like I always felt like, am I torturing these kids? And you know, with the best of intentions, kind yeah. of passing on my favorites in a context where they're not going to like them. But um, yeah, around the same time that I was uh, struggling with Jane Eyre, I think, in 
high school, I picked up um, Anna Karenina, you know, that a friend of mine was reading and, and just totally, it like changed everything for me. And I then, yeah. And then I got very into Dostoevsky as well. And I just, it's just all the things that I picked up on my own during high school became so much more influential, um, you know, and, and even when I circled back later and picked up those classics later, it's like I had to encounter them in a new in a new frame. So I don't know what that means. I feel sad for English teachers everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's still, obviously it still did me, I think I was still instructed by those books. Yeah, absolutely. And finding them on your own and sort of making the choice to read it on your own. Um, It it sounds like maybe uh, one of those might be one of these, but were there specific authors and books that made you want to be a writer at that age or later? I wanted to be a writer when I was in fourth grade and I, I first decided that when my fourth grade teacher assigned us a um, free, free verse poetry assignment in fourth grade, which is again, a very strange thing to put on a fourth graders uh, syllabus, but he was a poet himself and kind of a hippie as I later you know, retroactively realized. <laughs> uh, and it just turned on a light bulb in me. And I had been, we had moved in the middle of the year, or the school year, the year before, like across country. And so I think I really was very, very lonely and, you know, was already resonating with these other, this, the, the unicorn book and all these other things. And when he taught us about free verse poetry, I just started writing it like all the time, obsessively. And I started telling people I was going to be an author when I grew up that year. That's amazing. I, it, it was. I mean, it's too bad that it didn't happen right away because <laughs> I, I kind of thought it would happen like immediately in fifth grade or something. But um, <laughs> instead, it took a long time. <laughs> I was uh, into my 30s, well, into my 30s before my first book was published um, or before I even tried, to be honest, to really publish. So. Wow, but to have that self-awareness so early. Do you have any of those free verse poems that you wrote? I do. Yeah, I have all of them somewhere. Have you returned to Um, them recently? Not recently. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like I know them pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I I did really cherish them for a long time. You know, I, I, for a long time, they really gave me a sense of self even through you know junior high and all the horrors and atrocities of of junior high and high school they really gave me a sense that I knew who I was and I think you know when you become an adult it becomes more complicated you realize that actually it's it's not just about writing you know free verse poetry in your journal and then becoming an author (laughs) but um but in some ways it kind of is Uh, but you have to go through some adult stuff first. So I think it's nice that you had that confidence though, because that's like a hard thing I think to get in fourth grade. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write these free verse poems and this is going to work out. Yeah. You know, it was more of a compulsion at the time. And I often wish I could get back to that. I hear a lot of writers saying that they just have to write. It's like what saves their life. And that's how I felt then. And I think I occasionally feel that, 
there's an urgency that I do feel. But then when you're writing novels, it takes a long time and there's a lot of um, craft and revision involved. And there's a lot of it that just feels like hard work. Whereas when you're in fourth grade, just filling your journal with like <laughs> all these, you know, scattered images of, you know, it's just, it, it really was just something I did for my feelings. And, uh, <laughs> and I did show them to my teacher, but the, and my parents occasionally. And, but other than that, you know, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to please anyone really. And that's, that's a feeling I really miss yeah. as an adult writer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to really make a conscious effort to get back to that place when I'm writing these days. I could see that how it'd be hard just to keep that joy mm -hmm. of writing when you're dependent on, you know, deadlines and, and just have an adult life. Yeah. Well, the pressure is really on. And um, I think my first book was more like that. Like when you write your first book, um, you don't know if it's going to get published. So you're, you, you are writing for yourself in a way. Um, and you're, you think that uh, once I get published, I'm going to know that I'm good and I'm going to feel like a real writer and you know the red carpet's going to be rolled out <laughs> mm -hmm. and and instead what happens is just the suddenly it feels like there's eyes on you for the first time and people waiting for your book and they also their jobs you know are are dependent on whether you do your job well and yeah. that becomes yeah. this whole other level of like adult career um, but I mean I think the joy is still there to find you just you know, my first, I'm still early in my career. This is just my third book or my third novel. So I'm still learning that, you know, how to like take a deep breath and connect with, with my voice and still, you know, be present for the other voices when they need me. Mm -hmm. So, Well, we're looking at your beautiful bookshelf, but how many books would you say are on your to be read pile? <laughs> <laughs> and what are a few you could share? Oh, no, it's so long. Um, I started, yeah. This is a very selfish question for us because we it are is. super long reading lists and we need validation that that's okay. It is. There's like a thousand plus. Uh, there may be a couple thousand right now on my, on my Goodreads. It's a lot. Yeah. And I started, um, I started, I was on Goodreads for years, but I didn't really do it in earnest, I think, until pandemic, you know, this past year, I got really into it. And I just started um, keeping track, really keeping track of what I wanted on Goodreads, because I was ordering a lot of books from independent bookstores, um, trying to, and, and for my friends who had their releases coming out. Um, so yeah, so it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to zero in on one without actually going and looking. But if you give me a second, I can find. <laughs> this has to be very validating for you, Erin, because I know your list mm -hmm. is insanely long. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I one time accidentally did the math too of like how many books I read a week and how many books are on my to be read list, and I was like, I I can't. I'm not gonna outlive this list. What am I gonna do? And I had like a panic attack. <laughs> You know, it, it'll never happen. Like you'll never oh. get to all of them. But um, I like it because I, I feel like I stopped seeing it as an obligation and started seeing it more as um, an exploratory, I don't know, curation or something. You know, it's yeah. it's like a notebook. You know, where I'm just jotting down ideas mm -hmm. and. 
I like it. You know, I've started, um, you know, I still order a lot of books, but I've also started checking the library. You know, my TBR is great for, um, you know, quickly finding things to look at, look at and to see if I can get from the library because there's deep cuts that I might not buy right away. But, um, you know, I, if, if they're at the library, I'll certainly check them out. And if I love them, I probably will buy them. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, I'm looking at my TBR right now and it's, um, it's 1200 long and a couple, like the most recent one, I think is I put the adventures of Miss Barbara Pym, which is a, a biography of the wonderful, um, uh, British author Barbara Pym oh. coming out by by Paula Byrne. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's that's coming out soon. And there's another one uh, called Olympus, Texas by Stacy Swan. That's a oh. debut I've been looking forward to a lot set yeah. in my home state. And yeah, there's just a zillion. I could oh, go sure. on and on. Thinking about you know, some of the books that you have been reading recently, and maybe some of those from bookstores or from the library, has there been a book that's really surprised you recently? Yes, uh, I, I've just been reading, um, and I'm still finishing, a collection of short stories called At the Mouth of the River of Bees cool. by Kai Johnson. Her first name is K-I-J Johnson. That is one of those ones that I was talking about. I don't think I would have, I've just not heard much about it, but I saw it kind of come up on someone's Twitter or their Goodreads page and I just added it and then I happened to see it at the library. So I grabbed it and it's just stunning. It's a, it's from Small Beer Press, which is the, the press that Kelly Link runs. And um, her taste is so impeccable. Her I mean, I love her work so much and her press is always reliable for some really interesting stuff. So that surprised me. I was not expecting it. Oh. That's so cool and love yeah. the small press. Connection. Yeah. It's always surprising. Another small press release that just came out, That's it's getting a lot of attention, but I felt super, I got to read it early. So I was super excited to see people uh, getting so excited about it is uh chelsea summers a certain hunger which i mean if there's any book you can call surprising <laughs> um have you heard of this book i don't think so it just came out from unnamed press and Ooh. yeah another another small press release and it's um narrated from the point of view of a female serial killing cannibal who's <laughs> in prison it's her prison memoirs and she's a food critic yeah and she's a food she's critic, a food critic? <laughs> yes and it is just luscious the writing is very very mannered and florid and beautiful and she's it's just a gorgeous read and it's I mean I've just never read anything like it it's just, it's also very disgusting I mean you have to have a strong stomach to read it um, it's very visceral uh, but yeah, I just adored that book. Oh, Can't recommend cool. it enough. That's amazing. What a great premise. So how do you, would you say you normally find book recommendations? Um, all those different ways. I mean, mostly lately it has been online because of the pandemic. Um, it's just the Twitter feed is full of them. I follow book Twitter and the second I see something interesting or even something I've never heard of, I just go look it up on Goodreads and, you know, add it if it seems interesting. Um, 
I, all my friends, you know, I have a lot of author friends now, especially crime and mystery authors and suspense. And so they all have amazing taste and amazing books coming out. And so I add all of those and all of their recommendations. Um, and I do have some friends on Goodreads that share my more esoteric tastes, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I take recommendations from them all the time. So yeah, it's just a, a lot of places, but that's why, that's why I've really started leaning into Goodreads. I mean, not to kind of continually promote it. I, Oh, we love it too. It's just yeah. a local central location. Yeah. 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 There are, there are, there are, it's just the, one of the easiest ways to keep track of all that stuff. And I have found it really delightful as almost, you know, as an ersatz kind of um, coffee conversation with, yeah. with friends, you know, over books, like instead of getting together and talking about books, I yeah. um, get on Goodreads and see what my friends are reading. I can't wait till we can all actually sit around. And talk well, about that be nice. Oh, that will be lovely. <laughs> well, we should all have podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we recommended uh, Bad Habits uh, a few episodes ago. Erin uh, got to see an early copy. and She was very psyched about it. Um, Thank you. We love your past books, too. We've been digging into the uh, past catalog. Um, are there any particular books or authors that you think inspire some of your writing? Oh, yeah. Um, I often cite Patricia Highsmith. I think that's a kind of a gimme for a lot of authors of my generation. But the truth is that I, I had never heard of her for a long, long time. She was not she was not as big, you know, even 10 years ago, much less 20 years ago um, or when I was in college. You just didn't hear very much about her outside of like crime and mystery writing circles. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was in grad school, I started to, I had an advisor who, um, I I think I had already read a couple of Highsmith by then, but she was really into Highsmith and kind of um, tipped me off on some of the the deeper cuts. And I got pretty obsessed with um, her books. And then, uh, you know, I also, this is almost embarrassing, but I always say it because Um, it's because it's true, but Henry James is kind of the author that is most inspires me. And when I, when I am really having trouble reconnecting to my voice, I go back to his works and read them. And, um, I mean, you have to be careful because he can really get in your head and, um, you know, you can end up trying to write like Henry James, but I often, my first draft will will feel really influenced by him and then I'll I'll go back and smooth it out and kind of <laughs> rake all those long sentences out. <laughs> um, but yeah, that uh, still the structure of, of many of my books sort of in my mind mimics the structure of his books where there's there are maybe two or three or four major players and they're all psyching each other out. Um, they're all kind of manipulating each other in these very baroque ways. Um, that's the thing I really love when I read it in fiction and I always want it in my fiction. And yeah, there's just something about the intense psychological labyrinths that Henry James takes you through and especially in his later work that really gets my brain in that groove and emboldens me to write frankly ridiculous things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if Henry James did it, yeah, right? damn it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's working. We loved it. 
Mm. And I could definitely see Thank you friends. so much, Erin. Yeah. <laughs> we I did, really. really. And uh, yeah, I've had a couple of conversations actually pre when we recorded it and then post that we've both been reading other stuff that you wrote prior to that. And yeah, we both have enjoyed it very much. So mm-hmm. Henry James or not, you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we always like to ask, what's your most memorable fan interaction? And that could be, we've heard touching, funny, scary, amusing. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, what a question. Um, I mean, I think the ones that really get to me have been um, emails I've gotten after, mostly after my first book, some after my second too, but uh, from people who have been, um, who've had like various trauma, traumatic experiences and something I wrote in the book um, spoke to them and seemed real and or true and maybe even healing in some tiny way. And that, yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to beat that. Um, I feel so honored when somebody uh, takes my books seriously <laughs> because I, I, you know, I intend them even, even though they're, they're, they can be rather silly, but I intend them extremely seriously and they, they touch on topics that I really care about, like, um, the effect of trauma in women's lives and marginalized people's lives. And, um, yeah, so I think, I mean, that got very, <laughs> that got very intense very quickly, but I, it's really true. The, um, those have been the, the ones that's, that I remember forever are kind of the ones where, you know, people say, oh, this happened to me and you, yeah. you wrote about it and it, and it did something positive for me. Wow. I can see that being very touching and also a little heavy too, yeah. to, to hear that and to, yeah, wow. It is super heavy. I also like the people from Houston who can recognize Houston in my first book. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I feel like that's not specific enough, but it's hard to answer that question without giving people away because oh, no, I think no, when... No, no. Yeah. 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 Um, what, uh, you know, especially thinking pre-pandemic, maybe when your first and second book came out, were there other authors that you really wanted to meet and to talk to and you did and it went well? <sighs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. There, it's such a hard question to answer because like, yes and no, because I, I, there are authors I venerate, um, Megan Abbott, Laura Lippman, uh, Tana French, um, Sarah Waters. I, I don't know. The, I could list like, you know, a dozen more, but, um, I am really bad at meeting people in real life that I, I kind of, part of me just wants, um, if I, love someone's work part of me wants to never talk to them <laughs> and i'm kind of afraid of them as a real person not because they're going to disappoint me but because i am going to i don't know how to act toward a person who i care that much about their work you know what i mean yeah uh, i mean surely you do <laughs> at this point Absolutely. no we do like we think about this all the time that we are such spazzes when it comes to like people we really really love and yeah so am i i mean i am i mm-hmm. have made some terrible gaffes before i um actually wrote novels or before i started writing uh, my first novel i was a freelance um kind of cultural critic or you know, books journalist, I guess. And so I was interviewing a lot and I was, I was really um, scrapping it out. I had no background in journalism, didn't know how to do an interview or record things or, and I just, 
contacted people and foisted myself on them. And uh, yeah, so I actually kind of approached it from the beginning with this, I don't know, this kind of wild audacity. And then when I actually was in a position to be an author on this, on like a similar footing, it's like, I don't, I didn't know how to really transfer. <laughs> that. Like I, I, you know, I still see it as this amazing thing when somebody bestows their, um, you know, presence on me. And then, but I, at the same time, all my friends are authors. I know we're just real people. And so I, it's like, I have two conflicting personalities, but, but I'm like that with all celebrities. I am terrible with any celebrity encounter. Um, I have, yeah, the gaffes I have made would just make you laugh if I could share, well, if, <laughs> if I felt if like sharing helps. them. <laughs> yeah. If it helps, I think you're in good company. Cause we've talked to so yeah. many authors that feel the exact same way and <sighs> they had like a lot of good interactions, but the ones they remember where they're just, you know, acted like idiots or felt like they acted like idiots. So Oh my God. You're not alone, Amy. Yeah. I mean, luckily authors are also extremely gracious people mostly. And so, yeah, they've all been there and they're just like, yeah, okay, kid. (laughs) Calm down. I think we're benefiting too from the pandemic Zoom call thing, because if like we met these people in person, it would be a lot more, like Amy said, we're I'd be a lot more spastic. We'd be like, oh my gosh. I love your shoes. I'm always going to, if it's a woman, I'm always like, I love your shoes. Or like, That's, where did you get that bag? Ah, you know, it's like, I just, I just freeze up and start complimenting their clothes like an idiot. Anyway. Oh, your go-to is gender stuff. Just like, I, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't actually, oh, I'm about to say something terrible, but I was going to say, I, I, I don't really feel that way about male authors. <laughs> we we don't like, really either. So I don't, I don't really have that relationship with a whole lot of male authors. Some I should say, yeah. but yeah, totally understand. Yep. Uh, how would you say your readings changed since you became um, a published author? Well, I read a lot more crime because I did not really read mysteries or suspense or crime before. I did not seek it out. I did read, I mean, I read a lot of everything, but um, I wouldn't have ever said, oh, I love mysteries before I wrote, you know, a a psychological suspense novel. So, um, and I, and in fact, I was not intending to write one. It just like, that's how it ended up looking. (laughs) and uh and so I ran with it um but yeah I so I do uh, I have sunk into the genre quite a lot and um spent the past five years really just developing um a a sense for what's out there and for what I like and um I mean I have I have all these friends writing them as well now so I I read their books whenever as many as I possibly can and love them uh so that's the main change but i i would also say that i have i just feel in the i feel more freedom to explore genres in general and you know i've started reading a lot of horror lately um you know i'm thinking of picking up a romance which i've never really done before um because i think you know before i published i i had this idea about um you know, the, play, the role of genres in, uh, in literary life. And even though I, um, you know, I, I had 
read many things like Patricia Highsmith and such that are considered cornerstones of these genres and even Laura Lippmann and some other ones um, and Tana French. But I just, uh, I, I think I did not realize that, you know, genre is a marketing category and it's not really, I mean, it's useful for getting audiences to, to recognize and, you know, getting the audience to the book. It's kind of, you're getting the book to the audience. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not really always the most useful descriptive category. And some of the most uh, amazing work happens in genres, um, in, in genre, so-called genre writing. Um, and yeah, I, I just have a very different and more nuanced relationship to, I think, to literature as a whole um, than I did before I was actually on the shelf. That makes a lot of sense. We've talked about that a lot, about how genre can be sort of limiting for a lot of people. Like readers may think, oh, I'm not going to read anything in that genre because, you know, whatever. Whereas we found the biggest surprises sometimes in those different genres. Mm -hmm. Read a book. doesn't matter. Yeah, (laughs) that's... It's so freeing, right? It's just yeah. so wonderful. Pandemic has been like that for me too, even more, because I feel like I'm just more ex- ready to experiment with different things than I was. I just like, the world is burning. Like, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Well, we had a, yeah, we had a difficult time at the beginning of the pandemic getting into books. And so I think we had to sort of look outside our normal mm-hmm. honors that we liked or, or normal yeah, categorization. I was actually looking on the shelf to see if I still have um, this one book. The book that broke me out of my pandemic slump was uh, The Return by Rachel Harrison, which is a a psychological horror novel. It's kind of funny as well. It's like, um, yeah, it's sort of girl's trip plus The Shining. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's... (laughs) It's really a, a riveting horror novel um, written sort of for women about about women's lives. Breaking the pandemic slump. Yes, because it was so scary and suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Chapter by chapter, I would stay up reading it. And it was so visceral. A lot of people really looked to comfort reads, especially early on. And I found that I couldn't, I couldn't read anything unless it was so gripping that I, it was like scarier than reality. And I had to keep reading. So what do you think? um, Do you have one particular book that you always recommend to people that you think everyone should read? That's a hard one, because I don't actually believe everyone should read any one book. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care what people read. And I do recommend a lot of books. I have one that I recommend widely. If people are specifically looking for a comfort read that has a lot of depth, um, I always recommend Tova Janssen, um, The Summer Book. Um, That's a kind of series of short vignettes. It's a really delightful book. It's gentle, but it's not saccharine or simplistic. And um, all of her work is amazing but that that book is one I recommend most I, fi- I have found myself recommending that in the past year the most yeah. um but yeah I just don't required reading for the entire human race does not exist you know life is short yeah, yeah. there's a lot of good tv too you know movies are also very good 
<laughs> but if people come to me asking, well, I want to read Henry James, but I don't, I don't know where to start. And I only have like one book in my mental, I only have one space on my mental shelf for Henry James, like which one? I can usually come up with recommendations like that for each author or each genre. But yeah, I just think you got to read what you love and just don't listen to people who are trying to push stuff on you. That's, That's just like English class, you know? That's like high school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just read a book, Erin. Just read a book. <laughs> you guys need to pick up some books and read them. Yeah. Just you clearly <laughs> You clearly need this advice. <laughs> well, we always ask, uh, at the end of our episodes, we usually talk about um, something we're obsessed with in pop culture that we're recommending. Do you have a current pop culture obsession or more than one? Uh, <laughs> we your face feels like we're getting something good oh yeah we can't no, I, I, oh. everything yeah anything yeah the names of the things that i love always escape me right when i want them um I, the truth is actually it's funny i said tv because tv has been i have not been able to watch a lot of tv during the pandemic mm -hmm. um i am watching a good amount of movies mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, TV is harder for me um, during the pandemic. Uh, Megan Abbott's cheerleading series, Dare Me, is pretty great, uh, uh, delightful. There's a comedy series. Um, it's comedy. It's like very short little comedy episodes. And I think it was an Adult Swim show. Oh. And it's called Joe Para Talks With You. This was one of the things that I watched kind of obsessively with my husband in early in the pandemic that was comforting it's um it's just this kind of <laughs> this sort of midwestern guy um he's a young comedian but he sort of has the the affect of like an old gentleman an old midwestern gentleman kind of shuffling around and um they're just these little tiny episodes they're like you know, if you ever once loved Prairie Home Companion back when you were young, this is like a hundred times better and funnier. It's just very, very sharp comedy. It's kind of wince comedy, but it also has a deep heart. And they're like 10 minutes long. Like, <laughs> so yeah. It's a very soothing series. And my husband and I definitely returned to it when we were you know, feeling super stressed out. I don't even know yeah. if that counts as pop culture. Oh, it's like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, one thing I was looking at your um, uh, biography on the website and it mentions that you like cake decorating. Oh yeah, I do. You've been doing during the <laughs> pandemic? I did. Ooh. I made two cakes that were, I think you could say excessively elaborate. Uh, <laughs> Sesame Street character cakes for Whoa. my son. I know. And one of them, the first one was Cookie Monster. And it was kind of like oh. a bust of Cookie Monster eating a bunch of cookies. And they're like three dimensional. They, you know, stand up and stuff. And they're really fun. You know, I don't have an excuse to make cakes for myself anymore that are fancy. But I did. I made my wedding cake. And I have made, wow. you know, special occasion cakes in the past. But... Yeah, when you have a kid, it's one of the great things about having a kid is that you have an excuse to do something, you know, like I'll always have an excuse to make a silly cake now well, and yeah. spend, you know, eight hours decorating something. Maybe that's what you need to do for your book launch day is make yourself a cake. 
Oh, I thought about it, yeah. actually. That's a great idea. I know. I'm actually kicking myself for not doing it with the other two because uh, Bad Habits has, I think, the least amenable one. It's all gray <laughs> and black. And I love it. I, this is my favorite cover by far. But the others were very bright colors. It's very hard to get a, a cake to look appetizing when it's got gray and black icing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as I have learned. But you'll know that it's appetizing. Because it's true. Maybe, well, it's appetizing maybe, to read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you need to do a bookshelf with all of the covers since you didn't do it. And then you could bring in all the colors. That's smart. And I will consider it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I have always wanted a book cake. I have always wanted one. So I should just make one. Yeah. This time. There's no pressure. The great thing is that there's not going to be a, an in-person release. Exactly. So if it doesn't go well, I just like don't have, I won't take pictures of it. Exactly. Yeah. But if it does, then you've given yourself yeah. a full treat. I mm -hmm. love it. Yeah. I also, it's my dream to write a book about cake and I don't even know what that means, <laughs> but <laughs> like it could be a horror novel. It could be a nonfiction book about cake. Mm -hmm. I just really want to write a book about cake and I've always wanted that. And I, I highly support that. I hundred percent. Yeah. Along <laughs> with some recipes. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Aaron. I know. You were a little nervous going in because you liked her. I do. I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah. A big fan. But and she delivered. Yes. But she immediately put me at ease because yes. she's such an authentic, genuine person. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I liked that uh, she knew she wanted to be a writer since fourth grade. Yes. And that she write, wrote free uh, verse poetry as a kid. And yeah. that sparked her love. Because yeah. who didn't try a little free verse poetry? I really wish that she had had them handy. Yes. And that she had read some. I wish that I had some of my free verse poetry. I wouldn't read it either. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked, too, how she got pretty honest about how writing as a career, it's a lot more pressure. It's a lot less freedom, perhaps, um, a little less drive to write. And I, I really appreciated that she was kind of honest about that, because I bet that's totally true for a lot of writers. Yeah. Yeah. I particularly related to the fact that she has a TBR list in the thousands. Mm -hmm. I felt seen. Yeah. I felt justified. Yeah. Because mine is ridiculous. I was watching you real carefully, and I could tell your whole countenance yes. was lit up. I, it was. Yeah. I was like, oh, kindred spirit. <laughs> Um, I, I liked also that she admitted she's uh, fairly awkward when it comes to meeting heroes or people that um, she admires, which, man, we've said before, if this was an in-person interview oh, with man. all these authors, we would we would burn a lot of bridges. It would be terrible. People would file restraining orders. <laughs> it would not be pretty. I don't even think we'd get to the in-person part because <laughs> it would just be too much. My head would explode and they would be for, they would get a sense beforehand that just like this isn't. Or yeah, you're right. Maybe we would have panic attacks and just cancel beforehand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. True. I love that she also used what we've been using lately mm -hmm. which is just read a book just read a book it doesn't matter the genre no. and we've had that discussion a couple times lately that sometimes defining the genre can really cut people out it of really some can. great reads yeah and she talked about being surprised by books in different genres i also like that she doesn't have one book recommendation for everyone she just said just read it doesn't yeah. matter what you read just find something that you love yeah which is great just read a book that was 
just read yes. a book. <laughs> Preferably one of Amy Gentry's. <laughs> also, we have to cover at the end the cake decorating. And she has this dream to write a book about cake. Also, she made her own wedding cake. Made her own wedding cake. We tried to convince her to uh, make a cake for her book launch, mm-hmm. maybe with a, a library. Um, she kind of gave us a uh, maybe response. So I, I doubt that it'll happen. No. But man, it was nice spitballing ideas. It was. With Amy it was Gentry. nice to feel part of the process, even though I know I'm not. And I probably she was like, no, you don't get it. Still, I felt like I was there for a minute. She's like, I'm the one that's going to have to take eight hours to decorate this damn thing. Yeah. So, yeah no, 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 it's not going to happen. But it is impressive. It also I said can, something about her level of handling pressure. You man. made your own wedding cake? Come yeah. on. Wow. That's intense. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We'll be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. We sure will. In the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they are coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.